thank you as always for the work that you're doing in our life. And we ask you these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Beginning in verse 33. passage reads and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour sixth hour is 12 o'clock the ninth hour is 3 p.m. verse 34 and at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Amen. Last time we dealt with a foundational teaching of Jesus Christ who taught his disciples, who taught us over the course of three different instructive moments about the coming of his death, burial, and resurrection. We saw how Peter responded to this prospect of Jesus by rebuking Jesus. That uh, Peter thought, uh, Peter, aka the rock, thought that he knew so much and was so bad that he could rebuke God. He rebuked, rebuked Jesus saying that, Jesus, if I have anything to do uh, with you dying, it will never happen on my watch. Recall how Jesus turned and rebuked Peter by calling him Satan, the old devil, that you don't have the things of God in mind, uh, but you're only thinking about uh, the fleshly, you're only thinking about humanly concerns. At other times, the disciples, when they heard Jesus uh, teaching about his death, burial, and resurrection, that they were confused because they were awaiting some type of political overthrow of Rome uh, in Israel. 
They were looking for the ascension of Israel back to its proper place politically. For these other disciples, that they didn't get it. And nevertheless, uh, it was a journey that they had to come to grips with. As Jesus would certainly walk down this path of death, burial, and resurrection. Well, today we're going to focus on the death of Jesus Christ. We're not going to talk about all the gruesome details of his death, about his whipping, his scourging, and uh, his crown of thorns, and even uh, the nails that were pounded in his hands and in his feet. We're not going to talk about that. Instead, however, we're going to concentrate on why it had to happen in the first place. Why did Jesus have to be killed? and crucified for us. Here's the first reason. The reason why Jesus had to die is because sin is our default position. Sin is our default position. If you were to turn with me, many of you know this passage, to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Genesis 3, verses 6 and 7. And it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So we are connected with Adam biologically and through the fall. We are connected with Adam biologically and through the fall. You see, Adam and Eve, they consciously and deliberately, consciously, uh, they were clear in their mind what they were doing, and they deliberately, they set aside the command of God, disobeying Him in favor of the manipulative talk of the serpent who only had his own interests in mind. They were conscious of it, and they deliberately uh, set God's command aside. You know anybody like that? But uh, here also is a passage here, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that we heard last time, which speaks of our connection to uh, that great fall, uh, to that great time of disobedience against God that affected all of God's creation here on earth. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because what? All sin. Sin is an action which separates us from God. As Adam sinned, 
uh, we are automatically a part of that sin by default. Now, I know you're probably saying that, you know, this is stuff, preacher, that I already know. Well, just hold on for one second, would you? So God immediately judged and sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. So because of sin, God kicked out Adam and Eve. He kicked them out of the house. Do you also realize because of that sin that God also kicked you and me out of his house? Do you realize that? That it wasn't just Adam and Eve, but it was also us. We all were kicked out of the garden. Because we were in the loins of Adam and Eve at that time. But why? Why would God go to such extents to kick His creation made in His own image out of the garden? Why? It seems to me, God, that if you make somebody in your image and you love them so much, why would you kick them out of the house? Have you ever had to kick a kid out of your house before? Was it because he was so upset that he no longer wanted people to partake in the paradise which he had graciously placed mankind in from their very creation? Hardly. Here's the answer. Scripture tells us. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and do what? What does it say? Live forever. 23. Therefore the Lord God uh, sent him and her out, uh, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 24. He drove out the man and the east and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Come on, what does that tell you? That should tell us all something. That should tell us all that there is a garden that exists today. That the reason that we can't enter that garden today is because God has placed his angels with flaming swords going back and forth, preventing us from entering into that garden today. Realize that. We are supposed to be in that garden. Did you realize that? That's supposed to be our place. We're supposed to be in that place where if you have to work a bazillion hours by the sweat of your chinny-chin-chin, chin, that that was not the way that we were supposed to work. But now, we are locked out of heaven because sin. So the bottom line, the scripture tells us here, that if Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of life, then they would have what? Come on, they would have what? Lived uh, forever. Is that a bad thing? Right? Isn't that the place that we're trying to get to today? Come on, you need to know Jesus so you can have what? E what? Eternal life. 
So why is it such a bad thing uh, for God to kick out Adam and Eve out of the garden for them to live forever? Because this is the place that God wants us in the first place. Doesn't this seem a bit ironic? Is this that God double talk? I mean, come on. Eternal life for all people? Isn't this exactly what scientists and doctors are, uh, the reason why they're trying to treat us today? Because they want us to get well. They want us to be healthy. They're trying to figure out how can we get them to live the longest with the best quality of life. Organ donations. Growing new body parts. What next? You see? figure that if, if, if we can keep exchanging our body parts then ultimately that we can live forever but there's a problem with that there's a problem with that you see because if God originally said that we got to get them out of the garden else they will live forever but yet scientists and doctors and research folks are trying to exchange our organs so that we live forever there's a problem with that. Now, some of you know where I'm going with this. Adam and Eve would have lived the rest of their existence in which it would have been impossible for them to reconnect with God. There it is. You're saying, what? So, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. Amen? God kicked them out of the garden, else they would have eaten of the tree of life. And they would have lived forever. How? In their sin. Had Adam and Eve taken of the tree of life in sin, they would have lived forever and ever and ever and ever how in their sin you see it becomes problematic for all of us because if Adam and Eve would have eaten of that tree and lived forever you know God's first command to them would still have been an effect but what was his first command to be fruitful and to do what multiply then what would have happened? Adam and Eve would have eaten of the tree of life in their sin and lived forever and then they would start having babies who would live in their sins for how long? Forever. Therefore, what it means is that we would not have had any way of being connected with God. We would have been finished from the time that we were conceived. All of the offspring of Adam and Eve, every single one, including you and me, would only exist only to await the judgment day of God. That we would live forever, but we would live to await the judgment day of God. Revelation chapter 7 uh, verse 9 would never have happened because there would be no people 
surrounding the throne of God uh, to worship Him day and night. But is that really true? But is that really true what you're saying? Well, one example we have of created beings which sinned against God and presently exist only uh, to await their judgment are the fallen angels. The fallen angels, we call them demons. They are causing much havoc on earth because uh, they know their time is short. So they're trying to destroy anyone and everybody that they can. These fallen angels are stuck in a perpetual state of sinfulness without any hope of redemption. You get it? So the angels, they sinned against God. Did Jesus die for them? And the answer is, let's try it again. Did, did Jesus die for the angels? And the answer is, no, Jesus did not die for the angels. For, for, so for any angel that sins against God, that they now await their judgment. Oh yes, they are eternal in one sense, but they are eternal in their sins. And here it is. This is called being non-viable. Non-viable, we'll give it a theological term. And here, we use it in the biblical sense that they have the angels, the fallen angels, have no hope of living out their existence in the way uh, that God had created them in the first place. They are done. Finished. So if Adam and Eve were to eat of the tree of life, they would also live in a state of eternal state of sinfulness. Adam and Eve, you and I, we all would be then non-viable. Just as the demons who sin. That would be the condition of you and I. This would have spread not just to them, but to the entire human race. We all would have been born, born non-viable. No hope of eternal life for us. Nevertheless, nevertheless I say, nevertheless... All human beings are born into this world, here it is, with the potential of becoming non-viable. Every person in this world is born with the potential of becoming non-viable. So God did us a favor by kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, even though it seemed unfair for them to lose their protection. By association, he also kicked us out of the garden. Had Adam and Eve eaten of that tree of life in the garden, they would have uh, still had been fruitful and multiplied, except every person again born would have been eternal enemies of God. That you and I, by default, would be just like the demonic realm. They are enemies of God through and through. That would have been you and me. That, of course, would have culminated in a great war which people would have lost. It is the same battle the devil and his demons are trying to fight right now. They're trying to fight for the worship pole position. Who gets to be on the throne of God? But they are losing. And they are losing badly. Some demons, do you realize, have already been sentenced? They've already been tried? And they are already in their punishment? Do you know that? Some demons have already been sentenced. And they are currently locked up today. 
But the entire human race stands in judgment waiting for the final sentence. We all are, unless something else extraordinary happens that reverses uh, the current trage trajectory that the human race is on. Next, by providing some relief, the Lord wanted us to see ourselves for who we are. I hope you're, I hope you're walking through this with me. By providing some relief, the Lord wanted us to see for who we are. From the fall until now, everything that God had, has set in place has been for our benefit. There was literally no way for Adam and Eve to undo what they did. How do you undo a sin? It's like asking the question, uh, after you shoot a, shoot a gun, how do you unshoot a bullet? Well, how do you, how do you unthrow a rock after you've thrown it? Sin is just like that. Sin, once it comes out of the barrel of disobedience, it cannot be reversed unless something extraordinary happens. The only way to undo what has been done concerning sin is to turn back the clock and expect all living deep things to return to their former state all living things but this is an impossibility which God simply will not and does not allow God refuses to turn back the clock but God did for us all it all started back again in Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and he clothed them. This was to contrast and to show uh, what Adam and Eve did to cover themselves simply was not sufficient. Remember Genesis 3, 7? That Adam and Eve did what? They sewed what? Fig leaves together to make for themselves rolling cloths because they thought that if we do this ourselves, we're good to go. But God says, uh-uh. It's not going to work that way. As good as we may think we are in covering things up, no God says that it will not work. God says that uh, you cannot cover up those things which cannot be covered up. Well, so why does God uh, get to say what works and what doesn't work? Well, let's see. Because he's all powerful. Amen. Because God is holy, amen, uh, because God is righteous, because God is just, because God knows everything, let's see, because God at the end of the day is God. So, i tell you what, when you create everything, right, when you create the universe with the words of your mouth, Right? And things start to fall into place because you just said it. Then we'll take a look at you. Amen? You hear what I said? Take a look at you. Right? We're going to take a look at you because we're going to say, you're still crazy. Because there is only one God. 
So he created all things, therefore God gets to call all the shots. It's sort of like how uh, you work on your job or how you learn at school. You have all sorts of opinions about this and that, but at the end of the day, your boss or your teacher gets the final word. I remember one day that uh, one of the few times, one of the few times I got in trouble in high school. Yeah, just just one or two. And this was one day, and as some of you know, you kind of know my story. I kind of like like high school because when I did high school, I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I worked really, really hard, but I felt if, if, as if my school was like my place. And I really didn't want my parents up at the school. I just bring my you know, progress report home, say, boom, here you go, bang, and they're happy, and then we move on with our life. One time, it took me all the way to a junior in high school. The, the one time I got, I got in trouble that uh, I got into it with a teacher. And I just told the teacher, I said, man, you're just wrong. And I just told him, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, how are you going to tell me I don't know? I said, because you don't know what you're talking about. Because if this is true, then so on. And I explained the whole thing. And then he got really, really red. And then he says, Mr. Spencer, I need to see you. Oh, I was, I was right. I was right. In that case, I was correct. And he says, well, you're going to have to apologize to me in front of all the rest of the class. I said, I will do no such thing. I said, because I'm right. He says, you're going to apologize. I said, I'm not going to apologize. And we went back and forth. He says, okay, down to the disciplinarian's office. I'm like, why do I got to go to the disciplinarian's office? So I go down there. That was at the time when it was okay to beat, just beat the students in school, right? Remember those days? Uh, and, and I know that uh, I know that Greg remembers Mr. Kimball. Remember him? Yeah, so they sent me down to him, right? So he goes down there. He says, okay, Mr. Spencer, you know what you did. Turn around. I said, turn around. Why? He says, because uh, for what you did, I'm going to give you three pedals. I said, you ain't going to give me nothing. He says, really? He says, okay, we're going to suspend you, uh, but before all that happens, we need to see your father. I'm like, man! So here comes my father, and I was, I was really, really mad. I had to drag him all into my space, you know. You know, I thought I was all that, and here comes my daddy, right? I had made it three years in high school, and now all of a sudden, here comes, he was there other times, don't get me wrong, but there were good reasons why he was there before. But this particular time, I dragged my daddy in high school. I'm like, I felt embarrassed because everybody knew me. Hey, I walked down the hallway, and thousands, right, thousands of students in this, thousands, thousands, not like a hundred or so, thousands of students in this school. I walked down the hallway, people said, hey, Smith, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, right? And, and, and behind, my father said, hey, wait for me, wait for me. I'm like, man. And everybody said, hey, Smith. I'm like, what's up? What's up? I'm just, you know, I'm trying to be cool. End of the story. My father tells me to apologize. And um, I didn't want to apologize still. I said, because I told him, I said, I was right. He says, you apologize. I said, I, I said, okay, from this point, I said, okay, I got to figure out how I need to get him out of this school. But I said, okay. I apologize to the disciplinarian, I apologize to Mr. Kimball, and uh, then he says, now you have to go and apologize to the teacher in front of the class. So at the end of the day, the teacher still got the final word. 
So after all of my opinion, all of my thinking that I'm right and all this other stuff, I still got in trouble. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Kimball, uh, Kimball, uh, uh, I still had to see him again. And the second time I had to see him, I had just had to take it like a man. And I took it like a man. You see, sometimes we think that in our own imaginations and in our own minds, we think that we can get ourselves out of our own mess by sewing up our own uh, fig leaves to cover our own loins. And God says it's not going to work. He says that if you are going to live, that I'm going to have to do it for you and blood is going to have to be shed. Because you can't get a, a loincloth made of skin unless another dies. And then in this case, the other that dies was an animal. It doesn't tell us which one, but we just know that it was an animal that gave his life in order to cover Adam and Eve. Adam's attempt to fix the situation, although natural, was inadequate in dealing with their long-term issue. What is insightful is that God did not wait for them to get into deeper trouble, but he provided a way of protection. God did not wait until Adam and Eve felt like they needed help before he provided that long-term solution. So their short-term solution, an inadequate fix of the problem, that it would, uh, it, 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 he wouldn't wait for it to simply to fall apart. Here the Lord was already signaling that in order for a person to have a real solution to their problem, that a life must be given. All the way back in Genesis, God was already signaling that in order for us to have our spiritual problems fixed, that a life must be given. So if we fast forward now, Genesis 4, uh, to the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, we see again that the sacrifice of Cain was not looked upon with pleasure as was the sacrifice of Abel. Sacrifice of Cain was of the field, while the sacrifice of Abel was an animal. Even in worship, God looks at what was the most costly. Which sacrifice was the most significant and would be more difficult to part with? Of course, it would be a, a, a living and a, and a breathing creature. And then in Leviticus chapter 23, there's also the Day of Atonement for which the people of Israel would bring sacrifice to the Lord because they live in the constant state of sin. Leviticus, Leviticus 23 verse 27. Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. You even see it today. Uh, it comes near the end of the year. Most of the time, a Yom, Yom Kippur. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, uh, convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. On the day of atonement, there had to be an animal to be a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. Because God said, you're going to be in sin, so you need a sacrifice. So every year, they had to do that without fail. This was the entire nation bringing confession and repentance before the Lord. No one was exempt from this. Did you realize that? No person 
was exempt from the highest ranking official all the way to the family cook, even to the child that's playing in the front yard. Everybody had to observe the Day of Atonement because everybody was sinful. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as you can imagine, uh, but one Day of Atonement was never enough for an entire nation because sin was prevalent everywhere. There are other times in which individuals blatantly sin and would have to bring an offering or sacrifice to the Lord. They had to bring an animal. So if you did, if you uh, 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 hurt somebody or you stole something or whatever the case may be according to Leviticus, you had to bring an animal before the Lord and have it sacrificed. And if you want to read more, you can look at Leviticus chapter 4 verses 27 through 29. But here again, an animal is involved. As a matter of fact, let's read this. Leviticus 4, 27 through 29. Leviticus 4, 27 through 29. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that, the, that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, uh, for his sin uh, which he has committed. He shall lay his hand on the head uh, of the sin offering. See what he called it? He called it a sin offering. Lay his hand on the head of the sin offering. And kill the sin offering. And do what to the sin offering? Kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And as we see here again, an animal is involved. Now if you uh, were of the... Uh, uh, the status in which you were, didn't have much, then uh, the Lord will allow you to bring a bird, small bird. Or if you didn't even have a bird, he would allow you to bring flour. So in other words, everyone had a way for forgiveness. So why was all of this necessary? Blood was shed. Why was it all necessary? God demanded and he still demands justice. Simple as that. Why? God demanded then, and he still demands justice. Why? Because of all of us already said. Because God is holy, he's righteous, he's just. God demands justice. Who's going to give them justice? No, it's not like uh, what we see currently, uh, people protesting downtown, uh, picketing in different places because they uh, don't want a certain person to be uh, uh, going into office. It's not that kind of stuff. Right? Even the best person that you can think of as a candidate for office, if you stand up for them, it's not the same. God demands justice because we have all sinned. The only solution, the only solution, the only solution for your sin is your life. The only solution for your sin against God is your life. Now, just in case you didn't hear me the other two times I said it, the only solution because of your sin against God is your life. A life is required. This is why the sin of the angels made them non-viable. They are non-viable because God demands their life and there are no substitutes available for them. 
They ministered on behalf of God. They worshiped God. And they saw God with their eyes. Yet in all of that, they still were convinced by one of their own peeps that they had something much more than what the Lord could offer them. How in the world can you do that? You see God. You hear God tangibly. But yet, you're going to let one of your own homeboys convince you that God ain't all that. You need to follow me. God demands your life for your sin. Not the sin of your mother, not the sin of your father, nor your brother, your sister, your grandparents, or anybody else. He demands your life for your sin. Yet, in his sovereign mercy, he accepted the life of animals for a period of time. For a period of time, God accepted animals for his people for a period of time. Problem with animals, though. Hebrews 10.4. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Here's the problem with animals. Look at that. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Why do you think they had to offer animal after animal every single day, once a year, over and over again? And even the very priests, uh, before that they could go and actually offer on behalf of the people, that they had to offer uh, on behalf of their own selves first. Even the priests were not good enough. That they had to, they had to first uh, offer an animal for themselves because they were living in sin. For it is impossible for, impossible, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And if the sacrifice of these animals did not take away sins, what function did they serve? And they placated God until uh, the next time and there would always be a next time. Placated to God uh, until the next time, and there will always be a next time. But also, it was a uh, it was a type of what we will see of one that would come down the line. This is why the area of the tabernacle was so busy. It wasn't just simply about worship; it was about sin. Both the people and the priests needed to have their sins atoned for. No one was excused. But the problem enters because uh, the conscience uh, had not been dealt with along the individual uh, and their sacrifice really not to mean that much over time. Uh, face it, after you do something over and over again, pretty soon it becomes perfunctory to you. They would then offer an animal, but it became only an activity for most. Then now what? But, but what now? If animals weren't permanent and couldn't take away sin, then what do we have? Oh. Oh. Jesus. What do we have? Jesus. He is the perfect and permanent atoning sacrifice for us. Jesus is the perfect atoning sacrifice sacrifice for us. Hebrews 10.5. Come on. Almost done. Hebrews 10.5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices 
and offerings you have not desired. But a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings, sin offerings, you have taken, say it with me, come on, no pleasure. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So Jesus came to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice, which not only placates God, but now it not only covers the sin, but now uh, the sacrifice of, uh, of Jesus does what? It removes the sin. Remember what John the Baptist, come on, what he said when he saw Jesus Christ walking, he says what? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? takes away the sins of the world. He takes them away. He just simply does not cover them up, but he takes them away. And for that, I can say hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I can say hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. Jesus removes all of our sin, past, present, and future. You don't have to work to have Jesus remove your sin. Or you don't have to be this or that to that person to have Jesus to remove your sin. Uh, by the fact that when Jesus, when he walked into the tabernacle, when he came to that place, when the priest had to sacrifice for themselves, Jesus didn't have to stop and wash his hands. Jesus didn't have to stop and wash his clothes and put on white and put it all on. Jesus didn't have to burn incense. Jesus didn't have to burn an animal that Jesus what he did because of who he did he walked into the tabernacle and he walked straight into the holies of holies and he was there therefore the veil of the temple was torn from top to the bottom because Jesus was able to walk through my God my God why has thou forsaken me Jesus our perfect Jesus our atoning sacrifice Jesus our permanent sacrifice Jesus Christ He's the one that can deliver Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make God content. Jesus Christ. He, the only one above all other names that's named in heaven and on earth. Woo! When Jesus Christ came to offer himself a new covenant was put into place which meant we no longer had to worry about bringing sacrifice after sacrifice causing our worship to become perfunctory and meaningless through the sacrifice of Jesus our connection with God has now been emblazoned in our hearts that would fire that with fire the Holy Spirit has come to set us ablaze and to, and to seal our hearts with the guarantee that we are going to heaven. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 if you want to know. It is no longer the eternal actions that God looks at, but the internal seal of His Spirit which has been stamped in our innermost being. Under the old way, we could find ourselves stuck before we made the sacrifice of blood. That's struggling back and forth, trying to decide whether or not if we need a sacrifice one more time. Romans 5, 8, but God 
shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for me. Jesus finished all that the fig leaf could not cover. Jesus completed all that the countless animal sacrifice could not accomplish. Jesus hung on the cross and said to Palestine, It is finished. Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Elama Sabachthani. Which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, verse 37, uttered a loud cry and breathe this last if God is eternal then the blood of his son is eternal if the blood of Jesus is eternal then that means his sacrifice is eternal if the sacrifice of Jesus is eternal that means our salvation is eternal. Let's pray. Let's pray.